Amen. So this is the final message in our series on the Lord's Prayer. And you know, at first, the Lord's Prayer seems pretty simple. But when you begin to reflect on it, you begin to see that it's deeper than you ever thought. It's only 52 words in Matthew's Gospel. But without a doubt, it is one of the most profound pieces of literature ever written. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer to teach us how to pray. No matter what your need, your opportunity, or concern, if you pray through the Lord's Prayer, you can be confident that you have prayed right on target according to God's will. Now this final request or this final petition in the Lord's Prayer here is deliver us from evil. And the importance of this request is seen by where it's placed. The first half of the prayer is about God's tomorrow. The ultimate goal of all of history is that God's name is hallowed throughout the world. And how does that happen? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And what does that look like? God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. God's tomorrow has dawned with the arrival of Jesus, but it's not yet fully realized. And so the second half of of the prayer is about our today, here and now. We live in a day when we still sin. We still need forgiveness. We are sinned against and need to forgive. Why? Because temptation is powerful. And why is that? Because evil is powerful. And so the Christian's bottom line request is, Lord, deliver us from evil. So what is it that, that's really involved here in this, in this request? Well, I think there are at least three things. Let's look, look at the first one. First of all, when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging the existence of evil. This is important. It seems like a no-brainer, but this is important. In the early 1900s, many people were convinced that at the end of the 20th century, evil would not exist anymore. This was the common opinion. That's why World War I was called the war to end all wars. But then came the Holocaust and World War II, the killing fields, ethnic cleansing, terrorism, and more and more massacres with shootings at schools and movie theaters and resorts and churches. And so people now, even the academics, are starting to acknowledge more and more that evil not only exists, but it is powerful, intelligent, and determined to destroy all that is good. Most people don't need to be convinced of the existence of evil. But what is evil? Well, a description I came across recently says that evil is vandalism of shalom. Let me try to explain what I mean. A mentor of mine wrote about a far distant land called ought to be. And he writes this, people, nature, and God are knit together in a relationship of wholeness, fulfillment, and delight. The land of ought to be is physically beautiful beyond words, far more beautiful than the travel brochure can capture. But even more beautiful than its physical splendor is the beauty of its people. Different racial and ethnic groups treat each other with dignity and respect and they treasure the, difference, the differences 
in other ethnic and racial groups as attractive and important and complementary. Marriages are strong and the children are secure. And when making decisions, men defer to women and women to men until a crisis arises. And with good humor and gratefulness, the person more naturally competent in the area of the crisis solves it to the satisfaction and pleasure of both. In the land of ought to be, he writes, government officials, to no one's surprise, tell the truth and eagerly praise the virtues of other public officials. Business associates rejoice in one another's promotions. Corporations define success as, as maximizing the public good. And salesmen honestly explain the strengths of the other company's products. He goes on to say, intercontinental ballistic missile silos have been converted into training tanks for scuba divers. The streets are clean. Newspapers are filled with well-written accounts of great moral integrity. And at the end of the day, people on their porches read these and savor them and call each other about them. And finally, above all, in the land of ought to be, God presides in the majestic beauty of his glory and grace. People respond by praising his name and using all of their abilities and resources to reflect on his character. Individuals, families, communities, and regions love being hospitable to others because they know that their God has been hospitable to them. He's painting a picture here of what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but, but it means far more than that. Just More than just peace of mind, more than just a, a ceasefire between enemies. Cor Cornelius Platinga says in the Bible, shalom means universal fulfillment, wholeness, and delight. Natural needs are richly satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. It is a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Evil is not the way things are supposed to be. Evil is the vandalism of shalom. Sin is evil. And God hates sin, not just because it breaks his law, but more fundamentally, because it breaks shalom, because it breaks the peace, because it destroys the way things are supposed to be. God is for shalom and therefore against sin. He's against all brokenness. He's against disease and natural disasters and death far more than you and I ever could be. God hates these things because they destroy human bodies, demolish homes, and devastate relationships. But shalom, shalom is God's design for creation and redemption. Evil is a vandalism of shalom and therefore an offense to the architect and builder. Now, I've come to realize that these ideas can be annoying to some people. It used to annoy me. Maybe you don't like the idea of a design that we got to conform to even if we don't like it. Maybe your worldview 
leads you to believe that there isn't any way it ought to be. There, there isn't anyone like God who's interested in shalom. Therefore, there isn't really anything that fits the definition of evil. Your worldview leads you to believe that basically, life simply is the way life is. And when we read that picture of what shalom might look like, your heart was warmed, wasn't it? It, it, it sounded good. And yet, on the other hand, when you read in the news of, of, of a rapist who's, left off, who's let off the hook on a, on a technicality or something, you're enraged. And you know that it's not the way it's supposed to be. So let me ask you something. Which is right? Your heart or your worldview? See, the Bible confirms what your heart already knows is right. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that God has written eternity on your hearts. You know in your innermost being that shalom really does exist. And that evil is vandalism of the way things ought to be. So when we pray, deliver us from evil, we're acknowledging that evil really exists. Second. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we are also committing to advance shalom. This request right here implies a commitment. So when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are committing ourselves to advancing shalom. See, the point of our lives is not to get rich. It is not to get famous. It is not to get smart. It is not even necessarily to be happy. The great point of our lives is to increase shalom in the world and as a result, glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so how do we do that? How do we advance shalom? Well, to answer that question, we got to ask how is shalom vandalized? And it basically comes to this. The answer is one word. Substitution. That's it. John Stott, an, an, Anglican, an Anglican pastor, says that the essence of evil is substitution. We substitute ourselves for God. Shalom is vandalized when we substitute ourselves for God. That's what we see in Genesis 3, 6. And when you read that account in, in Genesis chapter 3, we see three words that jump off the page at you. And the three words are saw, good, and took. Adam and Eve saw that the tree was good and they took. And what happened? Evil entered the world. And it entered, when it entered, along came shame and blame shifting and disease and death. Shalom was spoiled. These three words appear in other places too. In Genesis chapter 6, not much later, it says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were good and they took any of them they chose. And what happened? Shalom was so, so severely vandalized that God judged the earth with a flood. 
Another example, in 2 Samuel uh, 11, David saw Bathsheba was good, and he took. What happened? It led to idolatry, lying, and murder. And David reaped agonizing consequences as well as the other people around him. Shalom was broken. Saw good and took. That is the essence of evil. But what's, what's evil here? Well, it's not, it's not simply their behavior. When you look at these stories, it's, it's not simply their behavior that is, that is evil. However, what is evil, more profoundly evil, is the way that they make their decisions. Each person determining what is good based on their own seeing, their own understanding, their own perception. They reject God's word, what God says is good, and they determine to decide for themselves what is good. Instead of trusting God's word uh, to be my ultimate authority on good and evil, I determine on my own and be my own authority. The serpent said to Eve, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when he says knowing good and evil, he's referring to, to judging between what is good and evil. Satan was right. Adam and Eve did become like God. They became their own God when they decided to reject the authority of God's word and decide for themselves what was good and evil. That is the essence of evil. It is substitution, substituting self for God. So, let me apply this. I know that, that some of you here are are checking out Christianity. You're, you're investigating the claims of Jesus. You're reading the scriptures analytically and you have a lot of questions. That's awesome. And I'm glad you're doing that. And if any of us can help you, uh, let us know. But also, let me, let me also give you a word of caution. And, and, and my word of caution to you is this. Watch out for saw, good, and took. Beware of, of, of the tendency to sit in judgment of God's word, to sit above it and determine what you like and what you don't like. At some point, you have to place yourself under the authority of God's word. And you won't really understand God's word until you do. I mean, even Jesus, Jesus says in, in John chapter 7, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And Christians, let me ask you something. Do you have a God who regularly contradicts you? Think about it. Do you have a God who regularly contradicts you? If you don't, you just might be substituting yourself for God and you don't even know it. Let me show you. Ask, ask yourself this. Ask yourself, is there, is there an area of my life in which I'm calling something good that God doesn't? Is there an area of my life in which I'm calling something good that God doesn't? 
It could be a habit. It could be an attitude. It could be a relationship. What is it that comes to mind that you call good that God doesn't? Once something comes to mind, what we need to do is we need to humble ourselves. And and we need to say, "I, I need to stop playing God. I am not qualified to be God. I need to make God's word, not my perceptions and preferences, the ultimate authority in my life. And what's that mean? That simply means obeying his commands. That means believing in God's great and gracious promises. So, when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are committing ourselves to advancing shalom. And then third, when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are trusting Jesus as our deliverer. So how how does God answer this prayer? How does he answer our prayer when we cry out to him and we pray, deliver us from evil? How does God restore shalom? In a word, substitution. Just as the essence of sin is substitution, so the essence of salvation is substitution. Substitution. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God. And salvation, the restoration of shalom, is God substituting himself for us. The Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians this. He tells us that he, Christ himself, is our peace. Jesus is our shalom. Jesus delivers us by living as our substitute. He lived a perfect shalom advancing life for you and me. Jesus totally relied on the word of God. When he was tempted in the wilderness, unlike Adam and Eve, he did not determine on his own what was good. Rather, he responded to Satan's temptations by saying, it is written. And then he would quote God's word. He says in the the book of John this, he says, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. What in the world's going on here? I mean, Jesus is fully God, right? Absolutely. So why doesn't he speak on his own? Why does he only speak what the Father commanded? Because he's God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is fully God and fully man. And he came to stand in our place. As our substitute, he submitted to the word of God. So that you and I could be given credit for his perfect submission to the word of God. And then having lived for us and giving credit for that, he died for us. Jesus died as our substitute. 
He took upon himself all of our sin, and specifically our sin of substituting ourselves for God, for rejecting God's word and putting ourselves in the position of determining what is good. And then he died on the cross. He died the death we should have died. And because he never broke shalom, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And the result is that Jesus is our peace. So, for those who trust him, Jesus is our shalom. We have been delivered from the penalty of evil. We have shalom with God. We are being delivered from the power of evil. We can have the shalom of God. We will be delivered from the presence of evil. We will have complete shalom of God. Let me close by asking you this. Search your heart. Be honest with yourself. My question is this. Are you denying God's right to judge what is good and evil? Or are you making that judgment call on your own? If you say that you believe in God and his word, is there anything in your life where you are disobeying his his command or disbelieving his great and gracious promises? I urge all of us, I pray that, that we all, including and especially me, that we would be quick to repent and receive shalom simply by trusting in Jesus as our deliverer from evil. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?